From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. It is time to check in with Claire Newell as we do every Wednesday afternoon. We are starting, though, with some breaking news and having to uh, do with wildfires. They are burning across parts of Maui and they have already prompted several evacuations. I must tell you, Jess, in uh, the last 30 minutes or so, I will say the wind has picked up dramatically. It's definitely whipping right now in Ma'alaya, uh, where police still have the area shut down. They're not letting anyone to the west side of the island. And we're all also learning that a shelter that was at Maui Preparatory Academy, they are being evacuated from that emergency shelter. They are going through the backside of Lahaina through Kahakuloa uh, because um, it appears as if maybe it's not safe there anymore. So these are all details that we're just getting in. That it was NBC reporter Chelsea Davis in Maui. Claire Newell is with us now to talk about this and some other travel news. Claire, good afternoon to you. Oh, good afternoon, Jill. This is a really, really horrific story. When I woke up this morning to read headlines like on CNN saying Maui wildfires are apocalyptic, um, I was just, it, it's its not just a favorite place of mine. It's a favorite place for many, many people have um, places there who are who are from BC they have gone on their honeymoon or they've dreamt about it but this is a place that um, people really really love and the, the reality is is the f- two of the areas where the fires are are very heavily populated um, for those who go to Maui often people go to Lahaina which is the the largest area about 13,000 people in the last census live there um, but it's where lots of stores and restaurants are and to hear that front street stores and restaurants are are gone because of the fire. It's really sad. The other area is the, close to the Kihei area and there's a lot of accommodation for for tourists. And many people I know have places there and have stayed there since they were really little. And um, it's scary on all fronts. We, I did hear of a, a friend of mine who has a colleague who luckily was able to get a flight at around three o'clock uh, Maui time this afternoon, they'll be flying to Seattle um, where their car is to drive home. They're, we've had a lot of people ask us to get them out early. Uh, there were luckily, there's some flights that are available on WestJet and Air Canada, but this is a terrible situation. Uh, yeah, and I, w- I was wondering uh, that uh, how much uh, people were contacting you because even uh, given that it's August, uh, I, I assume there would still be people there from BC and people visiting uh, because, like you said, people have such strong connections to that part of the they, the island. Yeah, they do. This is a, a year-round destination that's serviced by both Air Canada and WestJet year-round because during the summer months, there's a lot of people who go there with their families. Um, the weather is pretty. Uh, pretty consistent year round and so you got you've got a lot of honeymooners going at this time of the year as well as families with their kids out of school but then of course once the weather starts to turn um, it's very very popular and flights ramp up to the not just Maui, but all of the Hawaiian islands um, during the the fall and winter months, right through and into spring. But it is a year-round destination because it is so beloved. Uh, Beloved, everyone um, who's ever been always hopes to go back and go back soon. Um, So I I, I do know that 
I just heard on your last report that even some of the places where people were sheltering, um, including a, a friend of mine sheltering in a high school, they're even being evacuated. So this is a really volatile situation. If you have family or friends that are there, they should be heeding the warnings of the locals who were there. I, I know that it's a rough situation with phones and 911s, roads closed um, to allow emergency vehicles. If you've been to that island, you know that there's not a lot of um, major roads so you can imagine that they want their emergency vehicles on the road already hospitals are 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 really jam-packed so this is not a place if you've got a flight coming up soon that you may want to to, to visit you'll want to maybe delay your flights if you have that opportunity the airlines are being very very flexible no change fees um, they're waiving those for um, people who are wanting to either come back from the island early or want to delay their their trip to Maui until things um, resolve themselves and I hope that that will be sooner rather than later. And just one other note on this as well Claire and we'll continue following it but a lot of people saying that it just happened so fast they didn't have time to prepare uh, get things in a lot of cases uh, so I suppose it is a reminder as well about uh, you don't want to think about this kind of thing especially when you're on vacation uh, visiting somewhere but a reminder of just how quickly things can change. They, they really can and there's a couple of ways that you can do that you know just staying uh, alert on your phone to know what's going on in the area that you happen to be visiting. I just wanted to add this in if people are listening and they've got friends or family that are in Maui and they maybe want um, to see if they can help. The the phone lines can be quite difficult to use there. So uh, I do know a few people who have either called in um, to family and friends here to get on the line with whichever airline they're booked with because it is best do not tell them to go to the airport. The airport has literally thousands of people who can go nowhere at the moment. Um, so it's best to call the airline and see if you can make the changes. Um, and it might be difficult for them to do that from from Maui, given the situation. Maybe people have run out of cell battery or or they're having difficulty with the local phone system. So that might be a way that people can help. Um, if the airline isn't able to change or they're with an airline that doesn't have very frequent flights, my advice is to deal with a credit later, um, like take a credit for an unused flight uh, or deal with insurance after the fact, but get yourself, if possible, onto a flight that is available. And I do know that there are, um, last I looked, uh, WestJet had um, a little bit more space than Air Canada tonight at the, around the 1045 flight. It is expensive. It's 750 um, plus, uh, or that's including the tax one way, but um, a lot of people are choosing to get on that. All right. Uh, again, uh, I, I'm very uh, moving. Uh, we'll keep people updated as we hear more about what is happening with those fires in Maui. Let's talk about a little bit of other travel news. And uh, on a much, much brighter, more positive note, more flights going to places, whether you're going to Mexico or uh, to some other warm destinations as we get closer to fall and winter. Yeah, there were two airlines that um, put out their their new routes or the addition of flights. So I'll talk about WestJet first, and then I'll chat about Flair. But WestJet has added a lot of flights to Mexico from Vancouver. They'll be going to Vancouver to Cancun nine times a week year-round. Vancouver to Los Cabos 11 times a week year-round. Vancouver Extapo will go once a week starting December 22nd, just in time for that Christmas holiday break. Vancouver Puerto Vallarta nine times a week year-round. 
Vancouver Mazatlan twice a week starting November 3rd, and then Vancouver Huatulco, which a lot of people really like, four times a week, which is up from last year, and that's going to start on October the 29th. Um, we mentioned last week that they had also started, uh, this is WestJet, remember, uh, Abbotsford Puerto Vallarta twice a week starting December 5th, and Abbotsford to Los Cabos once a week starting December 4th. Now, for Flair Airlines, <laughs> um, they added 13 winter routes to their network, and the ones that kind of stand out are Vancouver to Cancun daily beginning October 29th. So there'll be a lot of lift because, um, as I mentioned earlier, WestJet will be going to Cancun nine times a week. So obviously very popular and they're, they're banking that people will take that. And if you're living on the island, Victoria to Las Vegas with Flair will begin twice a week on February 16th next year. So. Um, that will make it a lot easier and likely uh, less expensive to fly to Vegas from Victoria. And uh, this is, uh, you can't get away from the Barbie movie, uh, no matter where you're going. Barbie taking over uh, the Fairmont. Uh, which hotel uh, is this happening at? Yeah, unfortunately, no Margot Robbie or Ryan Gosling are part of the package, but um, it's the Fairmont Queen Elizabeth in Montreal, and they're doing a year-long partnership with Mattel. I think it's cool. <laughs> I mean, I love the movie, and I think people are all over it, so there is going to to be a, a dream suite there. Now they're doing this because it's the Fairmont's 65th birthday. Oh no, the the Fairmont's 66. It's Barbie's 65th birthday. So that's kind of why they've done it. So not only the Barbie dream suite, but they're going to offer all sorts of these cute celebration packages. So um, they're going to have a Barbie p- PJ soiree. They're going to have fabulous Barbie party, or you can do a dream tea bar for um, in the Barbie theme for birthdays and special gatherings. So if you happen to be in Montreal, it could be a really cute thing. <laughs> All right. And one <laughs> other uh, quick story before we get to the deals. And this is interesting. All gender restrooms in some U.S. airports. Right. Um, this is uh, a good news on a lot of fronts. There's a, when people are traveling, um, they, there can often be situations, um, like maybe someone in a wheelchair who has a caretaker of a different gender or a parent with a child in a, of a different gender. And this is just, um, it, it's a way of making, uh, bathrooms just a better experience for people. So, not only in the U.S., but in Europe and China, a lot are adopting this design. It's kind of the multi-user, all-gender concept. And I, I sent you a picture of it because I, it's hard to describe on radio, but these will all have really, like, really private bathrooms. Like, there will be no spaces between the, the door and the floor. Um, there'll be a light to tell you if it's free or not, and fully closes and locks, and it's a, a really um, good stall for privacy in in my opinion just kind of like at home um they'll also have individual ventilation and fans and like i said no gaps in the doors so i think this is a great use of space because airports don't have a lot if you had to have um wheelchair accessible male female family that's kind of what they do now and this will make things just a little simpler and like you said, that very private, so uh, probably yeah. a good all, uh, alternate, uh, a, good, a good use of space for people. All right, let's get to the deals. What deals do you have today? Well, I've got two for you. The first is a six-night Los Cabos and San Diego cruises, um, sailing round trip from Los Angeles. And I like that um, 
embarkation and disembarkation point because Los Angeles has a lot of flights. So they're not crazy expensive like some other destinations. There are four dates to choose from for this six-night cruise, November the 5th, 11th, 25th, or December 1st. So right as the, the weather really starts to change here, and it is $379. The taxes are 241 so a really great price. For those who know it, because it was doing Alaska um, this season, it's the Celebrity Eclipse, so it's a nice ship. Um, and then the last one I've got for you is a long-stay getaway to the Algarve region of Portugal. It's been one of the most popular destinations for, for snowbirds this year, and this is leaving on Halloween, October the 31st. It includes the flight, 21 nights in a four-star accommodation. It's actually a Garden View studio with kitchenette. Um, it's in Albufeira, and it's two nights also at a four-star hotel in Lisbon, because you can't go all that way and not see Lisbon. A sightseeing tour of Lisbon and all of the transfers you'll need, 1929, the taxes of 850. That's oh, a, a beautiful, such a beautiful place and what a great place to just to kind of uh, hunker down, make that your home base and see all of the beautiful uh, scenery and the, the culture around you. Oh, and Portugal has been so popular this year, Jill, like for whatever reason, you know, sometimes it's it was Iceland in the past, sometimes Spain, but Portugal is a really good deal. And that's why I'm guessing it's so popular. Um, but for a lot of people, they just haven't seen that part of Europe. So it really is a beautiful, beautiful spot. All right. Lots happening in the world of travel. Claire, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you again next week. Talk to you next week, Jill. Bye. Earlier today, Vancouver Fire Rescue Service put out an urgent call for public awareness and vigilance talking about the number of fires that crews have been called to just in the first half of 2023. And joining us to talk more about what the numbers look like and what the fire department is asking of the public is Matthew Trudeau, Public Information Officer with Vancouver Fire and Rescue Services. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me today. Uh, these are some uh, some troubling numbers. Taking a, a look at the fires that your crews, uh, fire crews, have been called to just in the first half of 2023. What can you tell us about this? For sure. So there's been um, a definite increase this year when we were tracking our data regarding um, fire, fire activity, uh, overdoses, and in, in fire cause where uh, this year in the first six months, you know, when we compared it to last year, we saw that increase in 31% and making it pretty notable and remarkable um, in itself, considering last year in 2022 was our highest numbers of fires in our history. So we've just um, surpassed uh, our record numbers from last year into this year again. Um, so bo both are really concerning to us. Uh, concerning, I think, to, to anybody hearing those numbers and seeing those numbers. Do you know what's causing it or why we might be seeing such an increase in the number of fires? The uh, Just looking over some of the data around it, where uh, there are increases across um, fire activity around the city, the most significant one has been an uh, increase in, in outdoor fires. While we've seen a, a decrease in tent fires overall, the number of outdoor fires that kind of we count as um, any combustibles outside, uh, garbage cans, dumpsters, 
anything where it's just been lit outside and combustibles are burning, uh, that has gone up by 42% in, in that period of time compared to last year, the, the most notable one. And um, the, the one of the changes, too, is that 50% of, 57% of all of these are uh, the causes around smoking materials. So those that, those two are the big, biggest changes um, with some of the fire activity that we've seen. When you talk about things then as well, uh, such as carelessly discarded materials, uh, like you said, uh, matches, cigarettes, torches, candles, are, are you also seeing an increase in arson? Yeah, absolutely. So it, one of the, the striking ones too that we saw was it's 20, 26%. Um, of all fires were uh, incendiary or purposely set. And um, I mean, there's no number that would make it okay, but this a quarter of all fires within that six months period were, were intentionally set. And we've seen this before um, and spoken about this before as there's been at least three occurrences, if not four, that I, that I remember recently of individuals or an individual walking around in essence, just setting fires indiscriminately in, in different areas, um, starting in Strathcona, through the downtown east side, into downtown, into to the west end of, you know, setting a dozen, two dozen fires and really concerning. And I, I know that those are under investigation, but like you said, very concerning uh, that, that somebody would be doing this deliberately. Is it even something, though, that, that can be, it's one person, it's, it's a small number of people, or, or do we know anything more about why we're seeing such an increase in arson? It's hard to tell, especially with, you know, the, making a determination about intent or cause around it. It's more, it more so to do with the investigation probably with a VPD where we, we typically investigate the cause and in, in, in origin around it. But for sure, I mean, around this, we're seeing concerns around mental health and we're seeing the concerns around um, substance use as well, um, especially with some of the outdoor fires and uh, increases in SRO fires as well, where uh, a significant um, change that's occurred we've seen recently is the ability of, of people to access pressurized butane torches and they have been their ability to lock on a flame. Hmm. So where it, it's not only uh, harmful enough to start to, to use substances, but now you've got a, a locked flame on where someone does overdose, drops this on them, and now their unit or themselves are on fire. Where with previous activities, at least you know, a, a, a lighter or a match would go out. It wouldn't cause further uh, harm. And is that why we're seeing the escalation as well uh, that, that you've noted as far as uh, structure fires and a lot of the, the single room occupancy hotels as well as tents and kind of outdoor outdoor uh, structures? Yes, I mean, yeah, the tent fires have, have gone down, which is which has been good to see. But the number of, like, in, again, indiscriminate fires that we've seen of, of people setting, um, increase in SRO fires where we're having at least one a day, if not more, inside units, usually related to smoking material and, and substance abuse and some mental health challenges as well. And um, that has driven up our uh, percentage around uh, arson fires as well. Uh, there have also been a number of fatalities th this year as well. Is that number, uh, sadly, is that number up as well? 
Um, right, we had last year there were ten fire fatalities, and uh, right now, over I mean halfway through halfway through the year, we're at four. Um, I mean, we never like seeing a single fire fatality. Our you know our goal is reducing risk in and injury and death as much as we possibly can. So it's it's slightly down from last year, thankfully, but um, it's still we don't want to see any fire fatalities or injuries the city. And these are some, some very, uh, very concerning numbers that, that you've taken us through. When you talk about this urgent call for public awareness, for vigilance, what can people do uh, to, to try and stop these fires from starting or to, to try and, and keep these numbers from getting much higher? Yeah, absolutely. So we always going back to uh, to our core and our information about what we'd like people to be prepared for and, and recognize as, as hazards in their home. So everyone making sure they have a, a home escape plan that they've practiced as far as what to do in a fire, how to get out safely, making sure everyone has a working smoke alarm on each level and outside of each sleeping area. The second alarm fire happened yesterday. The, the, the uh, residents there didn't have a working smoke alarm. Thankfully, they were out. And um, really regarding uh, the charging and maintenance of any rechargeable battery is really uh, go back to the recommendation from the, the manufacturer regarding replacing batteries and always charge them uh, while you're around and, um, and never just leave them unattended. Um, and last and foremost, first and foremost too, is really making sure if anyone sees smoker flames in green spaces and structures, uh, call us right away. Our ability to get on scene really quickly, contain uh, any fire that's happening is really important to stopping spread. And when you talk about the rechargeable batteries, is that something that you're seeing as well? I know we've talked in the past about whether it's it's not being charged properly or or there's been damage to a battery. Are you talking about the um, uh, the e-scooters the, the e or the e-bikes, that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So anything regarding e-mobility devices or any rechargeable battery as well, where um, we did have three fire fatalities in the previous year from a cell phone battery, and we've had uh, injuries from a computer battery as well. So it, we were seeing a big uptake in use around uh, e-scooters and e-bikes. It's really awareness around all rechargeable batteries and the potential energy that they have stored within them. All right. Well, it's uh, good advice. And again, very concerning numbers. Is there anything else, Matthew, that you wanted to get across or that you wanted to make sure people are aware of? Yeah, it's just really back to, to, to basics, the home escape plan, making sure your smoke alarms are, are, are checked, they're working. And if you have any, um, any concerns, you see any smoke or flames uh, in buildings in around your neighborhood, just call 911 right away and we'll get there and um, uh, contain it as quick as we can. Matthew Trudeau, thank you so much for joining us and taking us through these numbers. Appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you. Well, have you noticed an increase in security measures, whether it's camera, whether it's security guards posted at the doors of different stores? And if so, 
What do you think about them? We've talked a lot about the increase in crime, people walking in, and in many brazen examples, there was the one of the TV that thieves threw on the top of their vehicle and drove away. Many brazen examples of theft. Well, a new opinion poll shows just how comfortable people are with things like security cameras and other security measures. And Andrew Enns is the executive vice president with the Central Canada branch of Leger and is joining us now to go through some of these numbers in this new poll. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, Appreciate being on your program, Jill. Well, this uh, I thought was interesting because I think anybody who has gone to a retail store has seen everything from increased cameras to having to ring a bell to get into the store to limiting the number of people uh, inside the retail business. What were you asking people about shoplifting and security measures? Well, um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, we we went through we had we had kind of a, a a bit of a laundry list of different security measures and processes that retailers uh, are are you know putting in place. And we just wanted to first of all see how aware Canadians are these. Have they come across these in their shopping experience in the last six months? And certainly, we see um, you know there's there's a there's a half dozen or so that are that really stand out as being quite quite commonplace, I think, for people. Security cameras, uh, those electronic anti-theft alarms that are attached to certain items, high-priced items, lo- more locked display cases um, that, uh, that expensive items are behind, the presence of security guards. 58% of Canadians said that they've, they've been in retail outlets where they've come across, uh, you know, security guards, uh, store employees checking receipts. Like, th- those, those sort of... Um, you know, five measures were really pretty common. Over fifty percent of people saying that they've uh, they've they've witnessed these in the last six months. It starts to drop off when it gets into things like security mirrors or experiencing um, uh, you know employees checking bags um, either on the way out or forcing people to check their bags on the way into a store um, or scanning IDs to get into a store, but. Um, you know, there is a bit of a drop-off there, although regionally there's certainly some uh, some interesting sort of differences on, on the awareness of those things. Hmm. And and I thought it was interesting, too, with the, the number of people who said, yes, they've seen these measures taken. But then when you asked people uh, as well, which ones were they most okay with, it seems like people are, are fine with security cameras. Yeah, for sure. You know, 88% of uh, of our uh, of the population we surveyed in our poll at Leger said they were fine with security cameras. 85% with the anti-theft. I think the interesting thing, Jill, for me, when I looked at the the what people really supported and what they've got a little bit less supportive of, it was the things that didn't really uh, affect them directly. Like, okay, secure. I'm on a security camera. Fine. I'm getting kind of used to that. Presence of a security guard. Sure, he's over there. I'm over here. Where people started to get a little bit less supportive was when the security measure actually di- directly impacted them. And so, some examples of that, you know, only 52% of people were okay with store employees checking receipts when customers exit. Um, people didn't, you know, people were less supportive of, of what some stores are starting to do, which is eliminate the self checkout machines. Um, I don't know if you've had any of those cases in BC, but I know I spoke to a few people in on, in Ontario where some some large stores are starting to, um, to to remove these things because I think a lot of people only 
I'll check out half the items and shove the rest in the bag and away they go. Um, you know, things that, that really affect the person more directly, you see a little bit of a drop off in terms of uh, that customer support. And I think because quite frankly, you know, I think a lot of people respond to the surveys go like, I'm, I'm following the rules. Like I'm not, like I'm not stealing. So I don't like being inconvenienced. Don't, don't take away my self checkout. I kind of got <laughs> used to that, but you know, for a retailer, I feel, you know, I think they're really kind of grasping at what can we do here? Because I think the problem as you talked about in your intro is, is getting a little bit out of hand for them. Oh, for, for sure. And I found it interesting too, that there was so much, like you said, when it's not directly impacting you, people are fine with it and uh, security cameras. But I think what we've also seen is we get footage now all the time of these brazen thefts that take place yeah. and there's security camera footage. So it's not deterring that, that if somebody is going to steal, they're obviously not deterred by those cameras and uh, they don't care if someone sees them. There was there was a case in B.C. where the people threw the huge TV on their car and drove away with it. Yeah. The whole thing was on camera. Whereas maybe if yeah. somebody is taking your receipt and looking at it item by item, that is it's more intrusive, but maybe it's also uh, something that works better. Well, and I think I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I you know, and I, and I actually I, I'm, I'm noodling around with another another potential survey on, on kind of this angle. But it seems to me that there, look, shoplifting is not something that just started a year or two ago. I mean, it's been going on for for decades. But it seemed that, by and large, it was something that was very clandestine, and you didn't want to get caught. You didn't want to get found out, and you know. And I'm sure that still goes on. But now it seems that there is a type of of shoplifter, uh, and you use the word in your introduction, that's just it, they're just brazen. They don't care. Um, like we had a situation, I'm in, I'm based out of, like based out of Winnipeg and a couple of years ago, we had this horrendous situation where like, like young, uh, you know, young adults were just walking into liquor stores, filling up a basket and just walking out and no one does anything. And, and for good reason, because like, no one's really trained to get into a violent confrontation. You never know these days, but it was just out of control. And um, I think that's sort of the kind of shoplifting now that retailers are sort of really sort of going, this is different. Like I can no longer make someone feel uncomfortable by just being having a security guard or a security camera. Like I have to do more now, like to, to try to prevent this kind of loss. And and it's it's sad when you think about it, too, not only for the loss that the businesses are going through, but like you talked about, uh, the elimination of self-checkout. If you're somebody, if you're an honest person, you're not throwing things into your bag without paying for them. You are paying for them, whether you're at a self-checkout machine or at a teller, however right. you're leaving the store. But there are people that are going to take advantage of that. And then it has an impact on everybody when prices go up to try and deal with or, or make up the difference with this condition. Uh, continuous theft well prices go up and now i may have four or five items and i have to wait in a a longer line to go through a like a traditional uh, you know teller uh, you know staff checkout uh, you know uh, queue and and yeah like it's not you know it's not great i mean i think some people complained initially when the self-checkout started that they would miss that interaction but realistically 
we've adapted and quite frankly i think a lot of us it's a really quick way to get in and out of a store sometimes but you know uh you know, in our liquor marts now in Manitoba, like we have to, we have to present identification. We, it's a locked door. We present identification to someone manning a booth at the at the entrance. They scan it, and the door opens, and we're allowed in. I mean, it's not great when there's a lineup out this out the store, and it's minus thirty in Winnipeg. But what do you do? Yeah, no. yeah. The the option is just don't shop there, but probably not an option for everybody as well. That's right. I, I, I was surprised that the number for when you asked people about having to leave their bags in a locker or with an employee while shopping, while not being able to bring a bag, a backpack or a bigger bag into a store, I was surprised that that number wasn't higher because for me, and again, if you're honest, you're not throwing things into your bag and stealing them, but you've probably got your wallet in your bag and the stuff, your stuff with you and you don't want to leave it with somebody else or have it out of mm-hmm. your sight. I was surprised that number wasn't bigger. Yeah, like it's, you know, in our poll, 32% of people said they would support, you know, that kind of activity. It was it was at the lower end of the scale compared to, like, say, the security cameras, which up around 88%, as we discussed. Um, but so, yeah, I think to your point, I think there is that there's a little bit of that, uh, you know, dis, uh, discomfort with that. Young people in particular weren't pleased with uh, with doing that or women, um, you know, or, or our, the female respondents to our survey they weren't particularly comfortable and I can understand that. I mean, you're potentially leaving, you know, some belongings that, you know, you don't want people going through or something like that. Um, I will say, uh, cause I know, um, you know, I'm talking to you in, um, in British Columbia, that British Columbians were the more supportive of this, this measure than anywhere else in the country. 42%. There's a couple of quirky things about BC on, on some of this. There must be some fairly high profile, kind of, uh, you know, shoplifting events uh, that uh, that have captured sort of the attention of the public there, I think, on a few, uh, when I look at some of the polling results. Uh, what else sticks out to you uh, for British Columbia? There have been quite a few of those, but what else uh, sticks out to you? Well, the, uh, so there was that, there was that, uh, um, you know, sort of support for that measure stood out a bit. And then the other one that I thought was that we asked a question about, uh, you know, uh, did you feel things were... Um, you know, sort of, uh, um, you know, uh, not implementing uh, enough security measures. Um, you know, how do, are retailers implementing enough security about the right amount or too much? And we found in BC that you had a slightly higher number, 33% said that uh, they're not implementing enough security, which I thought was uh, was kind of interesting. And then there was, um, uh, and the other one was, I think it was that feeling, was it feeling safe. No, I think I think those are the two things where BC sort of jumped out a little bit on on uh, on sort of this uh, on this uh, measure. So there's obviously been a couple of fairly kind of higher profile uh, in- instances that that caught maybe some some me- bigger media attention. Yeah, I think there have been uh, the the one I mentioned, the recent one of the the large screen TV that was just driven away on the top of the car. We've had some cases too where people uh, somebody walked in and it was a smaller type couch, threw it on their shoulder and just walked out of the shop and walked down the street. So you yeah. know things that you don't expect to yeah. see every day. Yeah, I mean that's the stuff that I don't think was you know as I said I think shoplifting has been going on for a long time, but I think that's the kind of stuff that I I. I feels to me anyways that that's just a little bit of uh, of uh, taking it to the next level in terms of this kind of stuff.
It, uh, it is indeed, and some very interesting findings uh, in this survey. Uh, Andrew, we'll leave it there for today, but thank you so much for your time. Oh, well, I appreciated the conversation, and uh, you have a good rest of your program. This was a frightening story. Some residents in Kitsilano say they were out with a dog and injured. Both one man and his dog saying he was injured by a trio of raccoons. Take a listen to how Jake Moss described this. He spoke earlier with Global News. Yeah, so I was walking my dog, Pingu, um, down the street here on First Avenue. It was um, just about 1.30 in the morning. And I was walking him past this very place right here, and um, it was just completely normal. I didn't hear anything out of the ordinary. And um, as we got to about where this tree stands here, um, he was sniffing in the grass, not even that close to the bushes. We both heard a noise, and I looked over, and I saw two large raccoons, both crouching down, motionless, staring at my dog. And it's just all of a sudden, the two of them just pounced on him and it just started a fight that lasted I mean it felt like an hour but uh, it may have been two minutes um, every time one would grab them I would pick him up and throw him I would kick them and it was just a tag team and then a third raccoon joined in and they were attacking my legs they managed to get they, they bit at my Achilles tendon uh, they bit my hand here and chomped down got the fangs right in and they tried to attack my face and the worst part was eventually when I picked one up and threw it across the street, I looked down to see another raccoon had my dog on his back and was biting at his face. That's uh, what Jake Moss encountered. He then took his dog to the vet. That was on August 1st. There has been another report as well in that same area. That is the area of Kitsilano around First Avenue uh, where that took place. Uh, Another woman saying she too encountered uh, a vicious raccoon. That happened on August 3rd. So what is happening here? Randy Selinski is the owner and president of AAA Wildlife Control. Randy, thank you so much for taking some time. Oh, no worries. Uh, I know you spoke with Global about this as well, but when you hear about these reports and the encounters people have had with raccoons, with their dogs, what goes through your mind? Uh, it's something that, that we have seen before, but they are extremely rare incidences. Um, deal with removal of raccoons from attics and crawl spaces, chimneys, so we're confronting them on a daily basis. Um, by and large, they do not react like that or act out. They're not aggressive animals by nature, but there is possibilities at any time that they can be sick, and that, that can definitely cause them to be um, that aggressive. So it's possible that they were sick in this case. Could they have also been, uh, say, protecting babies or there was another reason why they might be aggressive and especially aggressive toward dogs? Uh, Yes. Typically, we wouldn't expect that much aggression, but the the only time that we experience them could be aggressive dealing with babies. So we're removing babies in the attic. So we learn to... um, uh, expect that they are unpredictable. They're wild, wild animals. They may react in various ways, but that is extre- extremely, or even when we are um, 
accepting them within an attic space. So to be outside, uh, usually from my memory, it's, it's been typically situations with people walking their dogs. So the, the dogs have some uh, bringing out some type of defensive behavior from the raccoons. And um, what about the idea of, I know there were some questions as well about, and, and this certainly came up with coyotes when we were talking about coyotes in Stanley mm-hmm. Park, and not that they're the same animals at all, but if people have been feeding them, do they then come to expect food from humans and they could get aggressive in wanting that? Uh, not really expected to bring on that aggress- aggression. However, it, it does lessen their fear of humans. So these raccoons may be initially going after the, the dogs, but even with the, the uh, dog owners being right there defending the dogs, the raccoons seem not to have much fear of the humans. A small dog, I can understand, but usually they're going to be more respectful of people. Right. I mean, you would think that a raccoon, and even how uh, that resident, how Jake Moss described it, I mean, he was fighting back against the raccoon, picking it up, uh, throwing it off of his dog, and even that, it didn't sound like that was deterring the animal at all. Yes, yeah. The only thing for for to be uh, is that it's not... Sorry, Randy, your your phone's just cutting out there a little bit. I'm not sure if it's it's where you are, but uh, sorry, I didn't quite hear what you said there. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes, back. Yeah, I was saying uh, there's going to be a thousands, if not tens of thousands, of raccoons throughout Metro Vancouver. You know, like you know, and sorry, sorry, Randy, your phone's cutting out again. My apologies for, for whatever reason, your line. No, we could hear you at the beginning and now it's uh, cutting out again. Okay. Yeah, I'm on my mobile. <laughs> you would think we would have technology in 2023. Um, Randy, I, I, I hopefully, I just have one other question. I, I know you were saying it's a, it's a strange behavior from a raccoon, especially when the human is there fighting back and uh, clearly uh, trying to get the raccoon and, and get it away from their dogs in this case. Uh, is it possible to remove, I know you remove raccoons from attics and from spaces like that. I mean, is it possible to even remove a raccoon a population from a particular neighborhood? No, it's I mean, if they suspected there was a, a sick raccoon or, or possibly three, they sh- they can try to capture them at that point. But not removing raccoon population from a neighborhood, you're not going to succeed in that. Any raccoons that are removed will simply be replaced by a different raccoon. So they are very territorial animals, and there's I'd say in any given neighborhood there could be 20 raccoons. So it's not just one or two. And that's all throughout the city. Hmm. So, Is it worth, you, though, if, if we are dealing in this case with sick raccoons, is it possible or is it is it worthwhile to at least try and remove the ones that are sick? That would be up to the municipality to decide. So we usually aren't getting involved with that. I mean, you, years ago, we would have complaints of a, a reported aggressive raccoon and, and we'd think that we're going to attempt to capture them and 
we've set a live trap in someone's backyard because they've been approached in their hot tub and we, we catch a raccoon, go back a few days later, it's a small shivering raccoon in the rain and you just have no idea what animal you're capturing. So uh, for us as a business, we just focus on structures and I believe the municipality would be uh, checking into it as far as any sick raccoons that might be around there. All right. Randy, thanks so much for your time and for joining us to talk more about this. Uh, definitely some some concerning attacks and some tense moments in this Kitsilano neighbourhood. Appreciate your time today. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.